My name's Trent. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. Thanks for joining us today. Frank mentioned it. Kyle mentioned it. I'll mention it. Uh, if there is any way that you want to communicate with us, one of the little cards on the outside of the greeter's bag, tear off a portion of your bulletin. If you've got prayer requests, uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you're a guest with us, just any information that you feel comfortable giving us. Um, we will not show up at your house. We won't release dogs in your front yard or put flamingos in them or anything crazy like that. We just want to follow up with you. We don't sell your stuff to Visa or MasterCard. We just want to follow up with you. And so I want to um, just say all of that to say uh, anything that you want to give us, we would love to follow up with you this week. And you can bring it to the back of the room, hand it to me or one of the guys back there. and We'd love to uh, just touch base with you this week. Uh, today we're going to kick off a new series uh, called God in the Everyday. And before we uh, um, open his word together, I want to just take a moment to pray. Would you do that with me? Uh, here we are, Lord, before you this morning, glad to be so. Because your name is victory. And you only borrowed a grave. And today, Jesus, you, the resurrected king, are bringing life to us, your people. And so we're glad. We're glad to be here. And we're going to open up your word that is spirit and life to us. And so we pray that you would speak to us by your spirit. And give us life according to your word and the promises therein. And Father, I ask particularly as we take up this new series and this particular topic today that it would, um, uh, that, that we would be a people who embrace Tuesday because of what happens here on Sunday. And so we commit ourselves to that and offer ourselves to you for that and pray that by your spirit you would guide us into the things that you have for us and to that end, Holy Spirit, uh, there's not a person in the room that can advance the kingdom in any of us. So surrendering to you and asking that you bring clarity and power to bear on us. Do that for Jesus' sake and for his people's sake. God. And I ask that in his name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Uh, so today we're kicking off the series, God in the Everyday. Typically after Easter, uh, we try to do something really practical and uh, hopefully uh, helpful to folks as they, uh, as they you know, engage here. And um, I, this series was kind of birthed in uh, several conversations that I had kind of in the run up to Easter, but certainly during uh, the fall and all the stuff that was ministry then, but also uh, in, in, the, in, the, um, in the run up to Easter, a couple of conversations I had that went something like this. Yeah, well, I mean, God's great and all, but really, it, it, it feels something like this. God's great and all, but really, it's mostly about getting to heaven uh, when you die. Now, can we just call a T.O. here for just a second? Like, I think God is incredibly concerned with us getting to heaven when we die. I, I think he loves us so much that he wants us to live with him forever. And he sent Jesus, his perfect son, to die as the perfect sacrifice for you and for me, to rise again as the resurrected king, to give life to everybody who follows him, receives forgiveness in life and freedom from him. I mean, I think that's really important, right? And I think, uh, you know, heaven is going to be an amazing place, not because there's going to be streets of gold, but because Jesus is going to be there. So I, I'm for heaven. Hear me say that, all right? I think God is for heaven. I, 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 don't, I don't think that's his sole agenda, <laughs> is getting us to heaven. I think it's, it's bigger than that. And so some people get that and they kind of scroll it back and say, okay, well, I mean, I, I understand it's not just about then, but, you know, God really, he's kind of a one day a week God, like Sunday, you know, Sunday. And so, 
you know, the rest of the time we're just kind of holding on. Instead of just holding on in life until we get to heaven, we're holding on six days a week until we get to Sunday, and then we're going to hold on to six days and Sunday, that kind of moment. So um, this is where the series was birthed, and, and I think there's two kind of things that are undergirding this that we would have God in the everyday uh, part of our life. One is um, uh, that I think that God is worthy of our everyday lives. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 says this, whether you eat, anybody going to eat today? Whether you drink, anybody going to drink today? Or whatever you do, anybody going to whatever you do today? Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So there's a way for us to sit, um, to eat, to converse, to watch the masters this afternoon, to take a nap to the glory of God. I mean, there's a way to do all of that to the glory of God. And so uh, over the next four weeks, we're going to take up the four themes that are there at the bottom. We're going to take up work today. There's a way for us to work to the glory of God. There's a way for us to play. There's a way for us to relate to food to the glory of God. I'm not telling you which Sunday that is. Most of you would be skipping. There's a way to relate to rest to the glory of God. And so uh, God in the everyday, God is worthy of our lives. Um, and, and so the second thing that undergirds that is not only that he's worthy, but also that he's actually with us in our everyday lives. Most of us give at least mental assent to the fact that, hey, there is a God, and he is, the big theological word is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. And specifically, he's with us, followers of his, uh, people who have given their lives to Jesus. Um, he's with us in a unique way. And so uh, we, we would say yes to that, but what we, in our minds, we, uh, we would say yes to that. But functionally in our lives, this is what happens. We have Sunday, we're grateful for Sunday, but Tuesday comes along, and it's Tuesday. <laughs> And it's, we're barely making it through Tuesday. As if the very same God who met us here on Sunday couldn't also be with us on Tuesday. We would never say that, but that's how we live our lives. And so God in the everyday. We spend a lot of our lives at work. And so um, that's what I wanted to kick off. So if you have your Bible, um, you can turn to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be in chapter 6. Um, now, if you want to uh, just put a finger somewhere and hold that spot, uh, it, we're going to turn to Ephesians 4 at the end of the sermon, so you can kind of hold that spot. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one and borrow it if you need to borrow it. You can keep it if you need to keep it. That's fine with us. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can find our live event and track along with that um, right now. Because we're talking about everyday stuff, we want um, I wanted to... Um, uh, kind of approach this from the book of Proverbs because it has so much to say. Normally, as a, as a church family, when we gather, when we teach the Bible, we kind of lock in on one particular passage and just kind of walk through it. We'll do that a little bit here. But Proverbs being what it is, uh, sayings of the wise of how life normally goes, it's kind of hit and miss. So we'll have a lot of scripture up on the screen. You can just jot them down. Uh, if, you, if you miss the actual content, you can jot them down and go look them up later. Um, so most of us approach work these two ways, and just see if this rings familiar and true to anybody in here. You ready? Number one, I approach work as an idol. Not I-D-L-E, I-D-O-L. Work as an idol. Um, this typically expresses itself in the hours worked or the mentality towards 
those hours. So um, the hours worked, hey, I'm supposed to work 20 hours or 30 hours or 40 hours, and that 40 becomes 50, and that 50 becomes 60, and that 60 becomes 70, right? And I'm not talking about a season of time. God bless every CPA and accountant person in here right now during tax season. You are loved, and April 15th is coming, okay? All right, I just want you to know. But I, I'm not talking about a season. I'm talking about just you pouring out your life over and over, 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week, that kind of thing. Work is an idol. That's one way that it expresses itself. A, a, a follow-up way that it expresses itself is I cannot not respond to an email, to a text, to a thing that comes in, to a phone call that re- and like... I cannot not respond. I know that work is an idol when I absolutely have to respond. And the third way I think this expresses itself is when you go out in the backyard and you're pushing your kids on the swing because you like your kids most days. This is one of those days. And, you know, you're pushing your kid on the swing and stuff. Uh, and, And the whole time, you are not present. Because your brain, you're just functionally doing this, Right? That's what your body's doing, but your brain is spun up on some project or something that you got to do or an email that you have to send or, or whatever. And it probably, if it's anything like me, it probably at some point after pushing about 50 times, you're like, hold on just a second. <laughs> okay, I'm back to it, right? You're never present. Work is an idol. Um, the motivation behind that typically goes... One of two ways, and really they're interlinked, but um, uh, uh, w- one is money, motivation for money. And the other is either power slash prestige. And those two things so often are, are married together. There's just that motivation. And if that's you and you're struggling with that, that would kind of be the vice that you have as you approach work. I, I, this is what the Proverbs would say to you. This is Proverbs 16, verse 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. What I say to you and what the Proverbs say to you, what I say to myself is this. There are things that are more important than money. There are things that I can obtain that are better than, of more value than the money that I would make. Maybe that's not your thing. Maybe work is not your idol. Maybe work is an irritation. Anybody? This expresses itself in several ways. One would be this kind of approach of laziness towards work. Um, uh, maybe um, an irresponsibility when it comes to work. I, I, oh, yeah, I just forgot. No, no, no. Um, it, it also expresses itself in this kind of myopia of here I am doing whatever it is that I'm doing. I'm serving a cup of coffee at Starbucks or whatever. You know, you put yourself in whatever job you're in. Um, I'm just doing this, and all I'm doing is taking home a paycheck. Never mind the fact that the person who came in for that cup of coffee may be a sleepy mom whose toddler was up puking their guts out. And the best thing that they could need in that moment is what? A cup of coffee. You could actually do good here, but no, no, no. You're just locked in on, here I am doing the thing. Here I am filling out this form. I'm sending this email. I'm having this meeting. I know on and on. Work is an irritation. That's motivated by, deep down, if you peel back all the other layers, all the other layers, you, you peel that back. It's really about selfishness. I'm just here to earn a paycheck so I can go do the things that I want to do. 
That, that's, that's really what it comes down to. And if that's the case, if you see work as an irritation, as a have to, not necessarily a get to, with no joy or purpose or sense of development of character or anything else like that, no, no sense of the greater good, no sense of service to neighbor, all of which we're going to pick up in a minute. If, if work is just work for you, an irritation, uh, Proverbs helps us with this, this. This verse is not on anybody's refrigerator, by the way. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Proverbs helps us by saying, yeah, it takes some work to get the stuff out of the area where the ox stays, but, but it's, it's better to have oxen than not. It's better to work than not. And when I'm talking about work, it may be a paycheck for you, or it may be staying at home, wrangling little kids, trying not to duct tape them to the wall. I, whichever, what, you don't threaten your kids with that? That's the best parenting advice I could give. Um, where there, when we're talking about work, that's what we're talking about. And I think God approaches work, not as an idol, certainly, not as an irritant, but I think God approaches work as a calling. It's a calling. And uh, when we say calling, um, what, what are we talking about? It, it's, it, it's not a curse. So let's be clear about that. Uh, Adam and Eve, before sin came into the world, you know what they did in the garden? Under the command of God, they worked. Work the garden. Keep it. Tend it. That's what he told them. Revelation ends with a picture of the new Jerusalem, the new uh, heavens and the new earth coming down to our earth. There's something wonderfully terrestrial about the new creation when it comes. And what are you and I going to get to do in it? We're going to get to do something that is going to be something like work, productive. So it's not a curse. I mean, in perfect environments, there's work. Um, uh, it, it, instead, I think it's a calling, and calling is a better motivation for us um, Calling is a, it's a, it's a much better motivator uh, than, than any of these other things, than money or anything else. And so uh, we use this a lot with kids, and it's, it's, it's good. You can apply it to yourself and others. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Not just, I mean, yes, the way of wisdom, but also a, a way that he should go, she should go. Uh, any of your kids unique? Like you got one, and then one came from a seemingly completely genetic, different genetic pool. Anybody with me on this? Like, one is one and one is the other. And, and, I mean, not every kid goes the same way or should go the same way, right? Uh, this might be blasphemy in here, I understand, but not every kid has to grow up to be an engineer. Put the stones down. Train up a child in the way you should go. So how do I determine a calling? We've talked about this. I won't spend much time on it now, but um, passions, experiences, gifts, strengths. That's the four ingredients in the recipe of calling as far as I understand it. Passions, passions, experiences, gifts, and strengths. To say, okay, how then do we train up this child in the way that we should go? How then do I um, support my spouse in the way that they should go? How do I encourage maybe those around me in the way that they should go when I look at those four things? How, certainly, how do I relate to my kid in a way that says, hey, here are the things that I see in you. Here are the things that I see God developing in you. Man, I want to support you in that. And when we do that, it's double joy because not only do they get the joy of that, but also we get the joy of seeing them succeed in the things that God has. So work is a calling, and when he gives it to us, we know it's not a curse, and then he commands us that we do it with diligence. 
Diligence is a key word. It's the key word for um, us today. And it goes something like this. Diligence is, uh, when you look it up in the dictionary, it is persistent application and careful attention to one's work. That's how God commands us to approach work, with persistent application and careful attention to one's work. Whatever that may be. Kids, engineering, coding, whatever it is. Consistent, um, persistent, excuse me, application and careful attention to one's work. And so if we work with diligence, how then do we see God? How do we meet God in the everyday part of our life called work? How do we do that? Well, I think God helps us here um, in, in Proverbs chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, Proverbs chapter 6. And these are the things that we can expect as God, uh, as we work with diligence, this is how we will see God, meet God, experience God in our everyday work. Proverbs chapter 6. Um, we, we get lesson from an insect here. Being from Texas, this is not a popular insect, but nonetheless. Here we go. You ready? Verse 6, Proverbs 6, 6. Go to the, what is it? Now, that's really important here because I want to stomp on an ant. But he says, okay, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How do we encounter God uh, and how do we meet God and see God and experience God as we apply diligence to our work? And the first thing I think is that through that, um, the way Tuesday is different because of Sunday is because we meet God and He uses our diligence to develop our character. He uses our diligence to develop our character. Again, verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Uh, is that a word anybody rolled out this week on anybody? Did you drop that on? Okay, i just just in. Consider her ways and be what? Wise. Now in the Proverbs, you have um, um, two different kinds of people. One is a wise person who walks in the path of wisdom, and the other is the fool. And the fool is the one who is always in trouble, always meets destruction, always has all sorts of issues. Like, that's, that's who you do not want to be. The Proverbs is very clear. Go the way of wisdom, do not go the way of the fool. And in this particular case, he equates the sluggard with the fool because he sets the sluggard in opposition to him who is wise or her who is wise. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. So we're talking about a character development issue here. We're talking about um, our, our character is both revealed by our diligence and shaped by our diligence. In other words, this isn't just work. This isn't just a, a moment where I... This, this is soul work. This is giving expression to things that are inside of us and letting the things that we apply our hands to and pay careful attention to, persistent application and careful attention to our work. These things also shape our souls. This isn't just work. It's soul work. There's a character Thing. And we meet God in our everyday work when we see him developing character. Proverbs 10, verse 5 says it this way. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son. Do you see diligence there? Gathering in the summer is a prudent son. So this is who you want to be. But he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. That's the fool. Now, which one do you want to be? You want to be the prudent son or the one who brings shame? Obviously, you want to be the prudent son. If you're going to be the prudent son, what do you have to do? Apply yourself diligently. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son 
who brings shame. He's talking prudent there. Don't miss that word. That's the reason it's in bold. That's an issue of character. It's an issue of character. And we meet God when um, we apply ourselves in diligence to our work and he shapes our character. The second way that we meet God uh, and experience him in our work as we apply ourselves in diligence is, is the activities that we get to be a part of and do. Um, verse 7, without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she, prepare, she the ant, prepares her bread in summer. The ant works without chief or officer. She just s- sees what needs to be done and then does it. She sees what needs to be done and then does it. Um, how many of you have had this experience, especially late springtime? Uh, you know, the ground gets wet. It's pretty easy. You go out, you're in your yard, 6, 7 o'clock at night. All is well in the world. You're looking out. Uh, I love my yard. You come out the next morning, and there's an anthill somewhere. And I don't mean a little one. I'm talking about like it is a mound. Anybody with me on that? Have you had this experience? You think to yourself, right before you pour gasoline on them and light them on fire and delight in their death, Right before that happened, you think to yourself, how did they do that? I mean, there's a moment of admiration before you become their executioner. There is this this moment where you say, what? That's amazing. That's really cool. I'm not going to let you bite my kid, but, oh, you know, so... Why, why, how, how could they do it? Because they apply themselves with diligence, doing what needs to be done without chief or ruler or officer. They just do it. There is a kind of work ethic that the Proverbs is setting out for us, inspired by the ant, annoying little insect, though it may be, inspired by the ant that says, listen, there are times when you just see what needs to be done and do it, and that's what diligence looks like. And when you do that, somehow, some way, you meet and experience God in the middle of this. You are shaped by, your character is shaped by the things that you're doing, yes, and the things that you get to do. Somehow you meet God in the middle of all of this. Um, it, it is a work ethic that produces, even without supervision, even without accountability, because it sees the bigger picture and it realizes that it's releasing good into the world. We'll talk about this in just a second. That's just a brief, very brief, a personal example. 15 years old, breaking every child labor law known to man in Huntsville, Texas. Worked at a furniture store. All of that. Uh, at one point, the boss looks at us on a slow day and says, hey, those carpet scraps up there on that platform in the warehouse, we're going to get them out and we're going to measure them, we're going to mark them, we're going to tape them up, and then we're going to sell them. I look at, in all of my teenage wisdom at my partner in crime and I think to myself, and then say, you really think he's going to sell a three-by-four piece of carpet? I didn't think so either. But he's the boss, so guess what we do? Climb up on the platform in the warehouse, chunk all the carpet pieces down, Measure them out, roll them up, tape them up, mark them. Three by four, piece of carpet, brown, shaggy. You know what I mean? Like that's what you put on the thing. And, and then you roll them back up, go back upstairs. Okay, what now? Um, and we did it. And I look back, and boy, we were fussing at the time. I was fussing at the time, uh, uh, chirping even with all of that. I'm telling you, I look back now, you know, about roughly 30 years removed from that, 
And I think those are the kinds of things that shaped me to be who I am today because does anybody else have things in their job, in their vocation, in their work setting that they don't necessarily love to do? Oh, it's just me as a pastor. Okay, that's fine. Oh, oh, you do. You do. Because there's paperwork and emails and a hundred jillion other things that have to be done. Am I right? So there's all of that. And so... um, the activity that we get to do is also a place where we get to meet God and see Him at work, not only through us, but also in us. And so here are just some things. I'm trying to paint this picture from the book of Proverbs, various places. This is Proverbs 12, verse 11. Whoever works his land, that's diligence right there, will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Anybody have worthless pursuits that you might be tempted to follow while at work? Another one. 20 verse 4, the sluggard, there's our word again, does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have how much? Nothing. He did not apply himself diligently. Therefore, when it came time to reap the rewards of his diligent work, guess what? There was nothing because he didn't he did not plow. Here's 28:19. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. We just feels like we just read that, right? I love how this one ends, a little twist on it. But he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Internet, Facebook, video games. He who follows any of these things will have plenty of poverty. Like those are the kinds of things that we have to wrap our brain around and say, I get it. So our activity then looks different than worthless pursuits. One more, Um, 22, 29. And I love how this, because this is the way that it typically, that's what Proverbs is. It is an expression of the way that life typically works under the good rule of God in our lives. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. Does that sound like promotion to you? Does that sound like climbing the ladder? You see a person who's skillful at their job, they typically get promoted. This is what it's saying. He will not stand before obscure men. You apply yourself diligently. You don't promote the guy who's not diligent in his work. You don't promote the person who's not skillful in his work. If you're a good manager, you don't anyway. And so you you do that and this, this promotion thing happens. So that's activity. That's especially important For those who do not love their jobs, if you don't love your job right now, the thing that you are giving yourself to, um, uh, just know that the activity that you have is one of those things where God can use that not only to do good in the world through you, like providing for your family, but also can shape you. It's also important for people who are trying to find out what they are supposed to do. Hey, I don't think this is the job for me. Ultimately, stay at it until God opens the right door. Martin Luther wrote a uh, series of works on, uh, he was the reformer in the 1500s, wrote a series of works and dealt a lot with the idea of vocation and the gospel. And uh, this is a stream of quotes put together. So these are not in context in one quote. That's what I'm saying, okay? Uh, But these three sentences come from the same kind of block of teaching. And he says this, first sentence, God is milking the cows through the hands of the milkmaid. God may very well be using you at your school as a teacher or counselor or principal or whatever. God may very well be using you to do good to society as you do the things that you do. God may very well be using your fingertips 
to punch in code that's doing good in society. God is milking the cows through the hands of the milkmaid. I may be serving coffee at Starbucks, but God may be giving a cup of coffee to a mom who desperately needs it through my hands. Second thing he says, at night we pray our prayers for bread. Give us this day our daily bread. We pray at night, prayers for bread. And in the morning, God provides, but how does he do it? In the morning, the bakers arise and bake it. You may be the answer by your work. You may be the answer to someone's prayer. And lastly, God doesn't need our good works. Can we all just get on board with that? Hallelujah and amen. Thank you, Jesus, that the cross said it was done. It is finished, and I don't have to add to it. God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. So we're releasing good in the world, and that's where we turn to last, this results idea. We've got God, um, through our diligence in work, we meet God as he shapes our character, and we meet God in the activities that actually uh, are the expression of our work, and lastly, in the results of our work. Look at verse 8 again. She prepares her bread in summer, and then what happens? She gathers her food in the harvest. There's this time when there's this harvest, right? There's this thing that happens. It's, and I just simply point out, when a single ant works, it's not just good for the ant, that single ant. It's also good for the entire colony. Am I right on that? So it is with us. When you and I, when we set our hands to work, it's not just good for us singularly, but it's also good um, for society. Everyone benefits. From our diligence, it, it yields generosity. And generosity then releases good into the world. Diligence yields generosity, and generosity releases good into the world. And you hear generosity, and some of you are like, oh, he's talking about money again. I'm talking about everything. Your time and your emotional wherewithal and your relationships and your, your money and your everything else, right? You steward all of that. You steward all of that. Because when we work diligently, um, it, it produces generosity in us and then it releases good into the world. Well, why does it produce generosity? Why not something else? Well, because when we work diligence, with, with diligence, um, what we figure out is very quickly is that money doesn't satisfy any way. That hoarding does not satisfy, holding on to things, whatever it may be, doesn't satisfy anybody. Anybody come up with that? Anybody encounter that in their own life where you're like, yeah, this wasn't as awesome as I thought it was? Proverbs, being Proverbs, picks this up. It's a great little quote. This is 1811. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and a high wall in his imagination. We figured out it just doesn't satisfy when we work with diligence, it produces a kind of generosity in us, and that generosity releases good um, into the world. In other words, it's better to bring something to the party than just show up to the party. So New Testament version of that. Can we look Ephesians chapter 4? If you'll turn to the right, several, several pages, way towards the back, Ephesians chapter 4, and then we're going to be done. But I, I really want you to see this, because the temptation is, especially from the book of Proverbs, just the, the genre that it is with these kind of quippy um, uh, quotes and stuff, they, uh, the temptation is to say, well, I'm just going to take what I'm doing and baptize it, slap a little Jesus on it, and off we go. That's not anywhere close to what the Bible's talking about. And here it is in Ephesians 4. We're going to start in verse 20, read a few verses, and then skip down. You ready? Verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him 
and we're taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus. Here we go, verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now pause right there. What are we talking about? We're talking about the transformation of somebody's life. There was some oldness to us that got put off and then God gave us some newness that we're supposed to put on and wear around and be that kind of person. That's transformation. That's what we're talking about. And then starting in verse 25, he talks about all the ways that this transformation gives expression. Look, if you will, down in verse 20 now. Let the thief, this is one expression of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Let the thief no longer steal, put off the old self, but rather let him labor, put on the new self, um, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Did you see that? Transformation, old self gone, new self come, let the thief no longer steal and let him work with his hands. And then what? That leads to what? Generosity, his diligence in that leads to generosity. Let him do this so that he has something to share with anyone in need. This is what happens. We release good in the world. When we work with diligence, it produces generosity, and then that generosity releases good in the world. Some people think, hey, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and baptize it in Jesus' name, and then I'm sure it'll be just fine. We are not talking about just trying to dip your Tuesday into a little bit of Jesus so that it comes out better. We are talking about soaking ourselves in Jesus so that he transforms what Tuesday looks like. Whatever that may be, in whatever context, some of you work out at the plants, some of you work in schools, some of you work in other service industries, some of you have to put up with stuff at the work because you soak yourself in Jesus so that he is the one who transforms what Tuesday looks like. Your activity, the actual events that happen may be the same, but you will be different in them. And that changes everything. Changes everything. So, I'm going to pray, and this is what I want to do. I'm going to pray for all of us. That for everyone in here who has a vocation, which is everybody, students, parents, workers, wage earners, I pray praying that we soak ourselves in Jesus. So that God, we meet God in the everyday and He makes us different. Let's pray, okay? Uh, Lord, thank you that you are concerned. I, I just, I'm grateful today that you're concerned about the everyday. You haven't left us on our own. You haven't, um, you haven't just said, okay, we'll just hold on there. Thank you that you that you care about our everyday. Thank you that you care about work and the things you've given us to do. No matter the context or the environment or whether or not we get a paycheck from it, you care about you, the things that you've given us to do. So I pray right now for everybody in here, everybody in here who has a vocation, <laughs> whether we go to school or whether we're raising kids right now, whether we're earning a paycheck from a certain place or not. Pray, God, that you would meet us in our everyday. I keep saying Tuesday, that Tuesday would look different. Because we recognize that you're with us. And Tuesday, we, we, have, we would have soaked already, soaked ourselves in Jesus. So that even though the activities of our day may be the same, we're different in them. Give us that. Whether we govern and lead and manage 
or whether we work kind of at the bottom of the org chart, give us that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. We got this one song to sing. It's a great song of reflection. If we can pray with you about anything, please make your way to the back. Certainly, if you would like uh, to know more about what it means to follow this Jesus that we've been talking about, you make your way to the back. He transforms lives, folks. We'll pray with you back there. Come back that way.